Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Today is the 20th of August, and uh, this is episode 18 of the Groovy Podcast with me, Peter Lebrook, casting from London, England. And me, Ken Cousin, casting from Marlborough, Connecticut this week. Hey, Ken. Hey, it's still moving around, but on the East Coast again. Uh, this one, I'm actually home for a change. I've got an online class this week, so I'm actually teaching through GoToMeeting or GoToTraining or whatever the heck they call it these days, uh, which is always a bit of an adventure. But, you know, hey, if it was easy, anybody could do it, right? <laughs> That's the hope. Right. Uh, yeah, I haven't done any online trainings yet. Uh, it's interesting. I think that's a way that training will go. But uh, anyway, we're talking about Groovy yeah. in this podcast, not training. Uh, we could probably have a long discussion about that. Absolutely. Okay, so on to the actual Groovy news. Uh, of course, last time there was the Great Conf US live. Yeah. Um, I'm somehow not sure if we're ever going to manage quite as good an episode as that one. So it's a nice, quiet August episode. Um, but surprisingly, still managed to dig out a fair bit of news items and other things. Uh, first of which is, uh, if you haven't heard about this yet, there is a curated list of Groovy libraries and tools called Awesome Groovy. It's hosted on GitHub, and it's just a list of all the Groovy ecosystem. Uh, so you'll see things like Gradle and Grails, but also some of the uh, small scale things. Uh, there is also on the curated front, a weekly curated list of Groovy news called Groovy Calamari. So um, this seems a little like the uh, Groovy Weekly, um, possibly more often, actually every week. Uh, I don't know if Guillaume, do you reckon Guillaume's going to change the name of his Groovy Weekly? Uh, I seriously doubt it. What would he change it to? <laughs> I just think of Groovy once in a while. Oh, that's so harsh. Apologies to You know, we're having a tough enough time keeping to a two-week schedule, and you want to give him a hard time about all the work he's doing? No, it's true. We, we, we deserve a hard time as well. I know hmm. that Baruch, by the way, is very happy with uh, that Calamari one. You know, he tends to use that as one of his major sources of what's going on. I haven't spent time with it myself. I, I probably should subscribe to it. Uh, do you use it at all? No, I only first found out about it this, this week, which is why it's yeah. in the news. Uh, so it's currently on episode 11, uh, so 11th week. So it's already been going 11 weeks. Oh, not a bad thing to mention then. Okay. Yeah, so definitely check that one out. Uh, and again, apologies to Guillaume. It was just a joke. Uh, we very much appreciate all the work you do. Please don't give up on the Groovy Weekly. And some people don't even make it to Great Conf and participate in a Groovy podcast. That You could have been there, you know. And moving on swiftly. Uh, okay. So next news item. <laughs> we have Spock Catters by Rob Fletcher. So Catters, if you're not familiar, and I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, are basically a series of exercises. They're often used as warm-ups and coding cutters for warming up your mind and your fingers a little bit for the typing. And he's done uh, several Spock tests. Um, yeah, so that's Spock cutters. Give that a, a try. I, I probably ought to try it. I don't, I, I haven't tried cutters my, myself, if you can. Well, I've done it a little bit, not a lot. Uh, I believe Rob did that session before GreatConf in the U.S. He on the the tutorial day, so he I think he did the spot katas there, and they went over well. 
there was also a Rat Pack set of exercises. I don't, they didn't formally call them katas, but I believe the code is available on GitHub. Uh, I'll have to send you the link, and if uh, we can always add that, uh, maybe I should oh, maybe get permission first. But it is on a public GitHub repository. Okay, I mean, if it's a public GitHub repository, yeah. I think that's fine to post a link. Um, so yeah, if we do find that one, we'll add that to the show notes as usual. So those are just a, a few small items. One of the bigger news items was uh, Luke Daly, who is, I guess, project lead. I think I think you can safely say he's officially the project lead for Rat Pack, uh, the web framework. And he was interviewed by Voxed, which is um, like a, a news magazine for IT and Java, I think mostly around Java. And he, he talked about Rat Pack, and it was quite interesting because he talked about it more as a modern Java um, HTTP tool library. Um, so if you still don't know what Rat Pack is, definitely worth having a, a look at his uh, blog post. And also, if you just want to know what kind of direction they're likely to go with that project, it's worth reading because he uh, basically gives his uh, opinions uh, of what he wants Rat Pack to be, uh, what it should be focused on. So. I thought it was a really good interview. And, you know, Luke and most of the Rat Pack team was at GreyConf. So they, they got to have meetings and talk about what the plans were and, and talk about the future. So that he alluded to some of that in the article about when the 1.0 release is coming and everything. And it very much looks to be a project that is getting more and more power all the time. And if you're interested in making a very small uh, but highly performant and highly scalable RESTful web service, then Rat Pack is a very good solution for that space. Yeah, I mean, he he focused uh, heavily, it seemed, on resource efficiency. Mm. Uh, that's why they go for non-blocking and uh, using various other uh, related APIs. Mm. Um, and it was interesting. He kind of said, currently, uh, it's the, the it targets mostly you know small uh, on the on the edge on the sort of bleeding edge development teams who who want that. Uh, resource efficiency and really just a, an HTTP library because it, it he feels that you uh, these things need to give you flexibility. It doesn't. It shouldn't be too opinionated. Of course, there are some opinions. Um, any kind of framework slash toolkit has opinions, uh, but it doesn't get in the way. Anyway, definitely a very interesting read. And related to that, and I'm doing this partly to call him out on it and ensure he finishes this series. <laughs> Kyle Boone has started an introduction to Rat Pack blog series. So hopefully that will develop into something that will give a, a, a really good introduction on you know, how Rat Pack applications work and how you develop them. So he's done the first one already. Maybe a mention on the podcast will you know, give him a little, little push to uh, finish the series. So well, Kyle, thank you. Please keep going. The, the tweets on that were great, by the way, because, of course, Kyle took the opportunity, and one should always take the opportunity to do this, to uh, give Dan Woods a hard time about his upcoming Rat Pack book during the tweets. Basically said, this is the Rat Pack book, Rat Pack book you've all been waiting for, you know, this <laughs> series of blog posts. And, of course, somebody else responded with, wait a minute, Dan's actually writing a Rat Pack book? I thought that was a joke. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> 
But yes, the blog post was a great start, and I really do hope that it will be a complete series showing how to get up and running. Because the right now, I think the biggest problem with Rat Pack is the is the weakness of the documentation and the lack of good examples to follow and everything. But they're coming. I mean, they're all in the works. If we can just show people how simple it is to build these things and how powerful they can be, that will really help adoption a lot, I think. Yeah, I mean, all I really need is, you know, people who are like part of the training world and used to developing that kind of content. So I don't know, I don't know who should do that, though. Um, well, I, I do keep mentioning them anyway. I do keep bringing <laughs> them up, you know, and I, I really emphasize them at when I when in all my talks at great comp. So uh, absolutely. I mean, I'm in the same position. I still want to do that exploring Rat Pack uh, blog post and maybe follow that up with more. But uh, <laughs> Uh, yes, got a, uh, enough on my plate. Anyway, enough about uh, me. Uh, <laughs> okay, I said enough about me, but the next news item is about me, or yeah. more specifically about Grails three. So, uh, I wrote, I did another one of my exploring blog posts, and this one was on Grails three. Right. So, uh, the Grooving Grails Exchange twenty fifteen is uh, scheduled for December, and uh, I thought, hey. Let's resurrect the Call for Papers application, which was a, an old Grails 2.x app. And hey, let's use this as a, a little chance to try out Grails 3, see what's different, how much effort is it to you know, migrate an existing application. So I wrote that up, and that's kind of really first impressions, plus a few hints and tips for the, some of the problems that you might encounter and how to solve them. Now, I have to give you a mildly hard time about this, very mild, because first of all, it was a wonderful write-up. I mean, I really liked it. I thought it was very interesting. The only problem was is that you spent a lot of time saying, oh, we really need spring security, uh, which we do, of course, in Grails 3. And if you, I don't know, if maybe you had listened to our podcast from GreatConf, you would have been known that Jeff Brown said, oh, I talked to Bert Beckwith and they'll have a spring security plug-in within the next couple of weeks. And, you know, this was all announced, but apparently you didn't know about that. Uh, <laughs> I, I could profess I did know, um, even oh. if I didn't know. Uh, if I did know, I, you know, certain deadlines and timelines are flexible, I've learned in my experience. So, um, I, I wanted to get something done right there and then that weekend. And, well, that, the, and the, the plugin was not available. Yeah, there's no problem with that at all. I'm just figuring, what do we have? 10, 10 listeners? And if I can't even count on you. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Although I got to give you a related story there. When we did all those interviews with people at GreatConf, uh, one of them that we brought up, of course, was, uh, was Jen Strader. And she reminded us that she had been on the podcast back in episode two. And that's when I didn't say out loud, but I'm thinking internally, are you kidding? I wasn't listening to the podcast back in episode two. <laughs> so I, I guess I can't get totally away with this. But at any rate, it was a wonderful write-up, and I'm glad you you did the work. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to more in that space. I especially would love to see somebody write up using it in the, in its micro uh, micro web framework, you know, the one where you just build it as a RESTful profile and not with the web front end on it. Uh, without, the GSPs, without the GSPs and other, you mean without the GSPs. Right, you know, which is the same space basically as Rat Pack, but it would be interesting to see Grails doing something like that, mostly because that's so unexpected in the Grails world, and yet that's a 
brand new capability they have, it'd be nice to see a blog post on it. I, I hopefully will get there at some point, but I'd rather somebody who actually knew what they were doing, you know, did, did, did that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it, as we get more people moving to Grails 3 and actually trying it for other types of web application, we will yeah. hopefully see that kind of thing. Um, so interesting that there was a reply from Graham on the blog post just today. Oh, really? Uh, what did you say? Uh, it was in response to uh, one of the questions from uh, a reader. Uh, I apparently have some. So uh, <laughs> he mentioned that the the plugin story around Grails three plugins uh, should improve in the you know the coming weeks months. Well, it's uh, clear that the now that Graham and Jeff uh, are comfortably settled in at OCI, and OCI has also brought in Colin Harrington and Dave Klein, and and there's and there may be others on the way. Clearly, they're making a lot of progress on Grails 3 now. So there's a lot of work being done. I expect that stuff to start cranking out. Uh, I, I uh, believe Graham when he says that there'll be a lot of plugins being released and a lot of new features in the coming in the coming couple of months. Yeah. He also questioned me on um, whether I'd actually tried to change the memory settings for the app on Heroku. So, oh, okay. Uh, I don't know whether that. So I, I can't actually remember now. It was too far back. Um, I did try it, but I don't know whether the settings worked or not. So, mm -hmm. I, but I, I would, you know, that is actually an area where it would be great to get people with real-world Grails three experience saying, yes, we had a real application uh, running in this VM size. Yeah, that's going to come up a lot as, as people are moving to cloud providers. You know, cloud prices are based on RAM. So the smaller you can get your app, the more likely it is that it'll fit in RAM, the more likely people are going to want to use that uh, particular technology. So if you, I mean, if you've ever tried to run Tomcat on one gig of RAM, you know what a joy that is. And if it turns out the Grails can fit into less than that, that's really helpful. Yeah, so I don't think, you know, a, a standard Spring plus Hibernate uh, web application uses a fair bit of memory anyway. Yes. So I, I'm hoping, and I'm hoping that people will, you know, try the different profiles of Grail. So you were talking about a REST-based uh, application without the GSPs, possibly without uh, Hibernate as well, and just seeing, you know, how much memory does that kind of application is it significantly lower? So this kind of information will hopefully develop and come out as uh, more and more people move to. Uh, Grails 3. There is a sample, by the way, on GitHub, a sample profile of, of this micro app, and it uses JPA, interestingly enough. So they actually have something with JPA in it. The only problem is, and I got it running. I mean, it was nothing to, to do except start it up. I just don't know enough to know how to change it or add functionality or what to do with it, you know? But that's the sort of thing that I think would be very interesting to see. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, enough talk about my blog post. Other than, of course, the big news, the Grails 3 compatible Spring Security Core plugin has now been released in Milestone 1. Right. So 300M1, um, respect to, was it? it? It's Bert and Colin. So Bert Beckwith and Colin Harrington, I believe. I read I that he Colin was working was with. Helping. Yeah, I think Colin's involved. I don't know what role he's playing, but Bert is still the, the head of that one, and I know he's hard at work on it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we can look forward to it, but we now have a milestone release that we can work with. Uh, and it, it, it was really striking to me how much work the plugin does compared to, say, the uh, Spring Security Boot Starter. Oh, really? Uh, 
yeah it, you know you, you don't get the domain classes and other stuff out of the box with the spring uh spring boot oh. starter for spring security um okay. ultimately i felt that the, the plugin was sorely needed uh, especially for anyone using the old version so uh still sticking to grails the asset pipeline grails plugin version 250 has been released and this apparently has much faster development restarts Oh. So while you're in development mode, make changes to your assets. That reloading should be significantly faster. So uh, good work to, uh, I, I just know him as Davey.com. So David, David Estes, I believe. Uh, I don't remember offhand now that you mentioned it. I know the Twitter handle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah we, we know him by his Twitter handle, which is Davey.com. Um, anyway, so uh, great work there, David. Uh, and moving on from Grails. Gradle had their 2.6 release, so they don't seem to do, you know, they don't seem to be into patch releases. So we've had 2.4, 2.5, 2.6. Uh, I think they're kind of planning, they go for a kind of six weekly cycle. The big news for Gradle 2.6 for me was the dev kit. So this makes it much easier to test your own build logic and your own plugins. There's something about play framework support, but <laughs> who's interested in that? Who would want that? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, what is what is interesting about the play framework support though is that it is using the continuous uh continuous build feature from gradle uh, 2.5 that continuous build feature was was big news at great comp a lot of people were very excited about that they really liked that uh, i don't know much about the the testing support in the build logic but that's a it's a great thing to have have you actually tried running it yet not yet but i do have a plugin that could do with some tests Mm. So, <laughs> and that is the, that's the main reason. I, it's something that whenever I do a Gradle plugin, it's like, oh, how the hell am I going to test this? Oh, I know, I'll skip tests. Yeah, the, the, so yeah, don't use my Gradle that. plugins if you value stability and reliability. The danger, of course, with Gradle being so powerful is that people will have this temptation to add build logic or to add, you know, actually business logic to the build file. And we don't want to get overboard on that, but having a built-in testing mechanism to make sure that those things are working properly will be very valuable. Yes, I mean, it's valuable on all sorts of fronts. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's very good news. Um, and on the Gradle front, so uh, I'm not gonna say his name because I will mispronounce it badly. So ah. uh, a gentleman uh, did a, he's behind the, he's one of the guys behind the Golo language. Oh. And that's currently built with Maven. And he attempted recently to migrate the build to Gradle. And he, he posted a, a blog, uh, you know, an article describing the things that he had to do in order to migrate the plugin. That's um, a Julian Ponge or whatever his name is? Uh, yes, Julian. Right. Julian, yeah. and I don't know how to pronounce his surname, and I don't want to mess it up. OK. Um, so anyway, that's that's a very interesting read um to any especially anybody that uses maven currently and is interested in migrating into gradle uh, but he and he has some insights into where gradle is relatively weak compared to maven um it was particularly useful for me because i'm working on a maven to gradle migration guide so oh. hopefully folks will have a resource to help them on that thing, because hopefully it's going to be really popular moving from even to Gradle. Yeah. Oh, look who's here. 
Hi guys, sorry for being late. You are. Oh, we have a new joiner. And he's quite ominous. He's backlit, and you can't see his face at all. It's like you know, this is Doctor Evil. Yeah, that, that can be fixed actually. <laughs> okay, you fix that. Uh, right, so that's uh, definitely a, a blog post that's worth reading, and uh, kind of in a similar vein, in, in the same vein. Gradle Inc. created a uh, Gradle versus Maven comparison chart uh, and put that on their website. Now, I don't know if you've seen this. It's massive. It's, it's, I, it probably prints to three sides of A4 or something. Um, I don't know. What do you guys feel about uh, these comparison matrices? Not a massive fan myself. But. Well, it's... It's a nice idea, but of course, if it's being supported by Gradle, it's going to be emphasizing the parts where Gradle wins. I personally, I don't know that it's needed that much. Uh, it's probably useful for large businesses who need to justify the change from Maven to Gradle. On the developer level, I think that that uh, it's already been won. You know, that battle's already won. I think the developers are always happy to move from Maven to Gradle. No, not your experience. Uh, no, I disagree. I mean, there's still, you know, you just have to read some of the articles online and uh, yeah. some of the tweets as well. So, because that Maven is, uh, I mean, despite actually Gradle's been around for a long time, uh, Maven is the mature, maturer of the tools, and mm -hmm. therefore it has, in certain cases, better integrations. And of course, you have to remember that people are trying to migrate to Gradle with a bit of a Maven mindset. Um, so when Gradle doesn't do something exactly like Maven does, that, that can cause a bit of consternation and grief. Yeah, so I, I think I have opinions on both topics. First, the comparison matrix. This is something dear to, to our hearts since we, I, I would say we had um, in, in our industry in the binary repository or artifact repository field we um, for years had the best comparison matrix that I ever saw and that's because of a very simple um, reason it was co-edited by all the product um, stakeholders in um, in our um, in our competition so it was um, it was a confluence page that was edited by um, Jeffro guys and Sonotap guys and Archiva guys and that would make it totally unbiased because um, um, each one of us uh, took care of, of their own column making sure to present the, um, the product in the, in the best way and it, it was actually very useful because um, comparing that to trying to harvest information on the website of the product is of course um, much easier and you know the information is presented in, in a comparison way and I believe it was a very a very successful one. We recently migrated it to GitHub because it was hosted on Codehouse and it's dead. Um, and so once once the matrix is um, not coming from one of the vendors, uh, but uh, um, co-edited by uh, you know by all parties, it can be very very good, successful, and useful. And and regarding uh, regarding um, Going from uh, Maven to Gradle, I agree with Peter. And there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of uh, people that actually still prefer Maven um, by choice. 
you know, smart people that looked at Gradle and decided they'd want to stick with Maven. And my feeling is that the decision was because of the freedom that uh, Gradle gives and uh, and those build masters and configuration managers don't want to, to their developers to uh, add uh, you know proprietary tasks and and groovy code into their uh, build scripts and that's understandable what i really miss in gradle is this kind of enterprise gradle plugin which will ban the ability of adding tasks and basically code to the gradle script so it will behave as a project descriptor, uh, much like PomXML, and will contain the list of applied plugins, you know, and the dependencies, and that's pretty much all. And if something is needed, it can be added in a plugin, and it doesn't have to be like a jar file with its own lifecycle. It could be just another Riddle script that um, comes from a repository, which can only be edited by configuration managers or, or such. Boy, I, w I would absolutely hate that. <laughs> uh, I would hate to be told that I can't add any code or configure anything with my own code inside a build script. I understand the concern. I understand the fear that you're going to have uh, developers who aren't experts or, or whatever going to cause problems. But, I mean, if that's what you hire developers for is to write code. And if you basically tell them, sorry, you can't do that because we don't trust you to do it well, that... I'd never like that approach, you know. But I understand yeah, the motivation. Think about, think about, think about big enterprise corporations. Not all the developers there are top-notch. Not all the developers there understand or want to understand configuration management, Gradle, etc., etc. They just want whatever they try to do to be done. And the the, the thing that the what they do for it is usually going googling some piece of code and trying to copy paste it inside their build script and see if that works. Yeah, I, I, I know I, I hear what you're saying. I just, I just hate the philosophical idea of it and clearly we're not going to resolve that here but at any rate that's certainly interesting about the the availability of the, of the comparison list and the motivation for the enterprise features. Yeah and the nice thing of course about Gradle is it really has the the core to support that kind of thing. It's right. just something that's not there yet. Uh, okay, so that's all with Gradle. A little bit on conferences. So uh, the Grails Conf in New Delhi, India is back for 2016. So this is January. If I remember correctly, it's the 16th of January uh, off the top of my head. The call for papers is open now, and I've added a link to the show notes for that. So it's, it's great to see our colleagues in India or our friends in India. Uh, Keeping that, you know, getting that uh, interest in Groovy and Grails going and keeping it going in uh, India there. Definitely. Okay, so, uh, and sort of to tail off a little bit of uh, humor, there's a, a link to a, I guess, one of these online business magazines who are well known for understanding technology really well and getting their facts right. So apparently, LinkedIn open sources Gradle a Hadoop tool. So if you're not familiar with this, it's, it's a little hilarious reading the, the first paragraph or two of the article. So apparently LinkedIn are open sourcing an internal Gradle plugin that they have for integration with Hadoop. Mm -hmm. uh, but somebody who wrote this article 
misinterpreted that and thought that LinkedIn was had created Gradle and was open sourcing the whole tool. So, anyway, have some fun reading that for a little bit. Right. <laughs> uh, and I noticed a few tweets recently. There, there's something about Spock and indentation, and it oh, almost sounds goodness. like there's a war. So, <laughs> yes. Ben, did you some... say you you know what this is about? Well, there are some truly misguided people out there. I, I mean, look, we like being inclusive as much as possible, and hey, sometimes we can even deal with people who are so drastically wrong that they prefer tabs over spaces. I mean, it is possible to bring in people like that. But there are some poor individuals who think that in your Spock tests, in the when and then blocks, you should indent the actual assertions, you know, the actual test part of it, even further than just the when-then indentation itself. Uh, where they get this idea, I mean, who knows? I mean, you could see this occasionally in a post, and I just describe it to somebody who just doesn't know any better. You know, it's just sad. Uh, but, I mean, if you want to know how easy it is to get the indentation right, just do a reformat in your Spock test in IntelliJ, and it lines everything up under the blocks the way God intended them to be lined up. You know, it's exactly <laughs> as it should be. But... Sometimes on Twitter, people will go off down a sad, unfortunate path, and you know when somebody's wrong on the internet, you do have to correct them. That is true. Although, to be honest, I, I feel that they're they're first in the wrong for letting people know that they indent that extra code. Ah, yeah, yeah. I uh, mean, although that, to... go ahead. I'm sorry. Not much help if you actually make your source code publicly available on GitHub. <laughs> I actually had a, a case where I was using training materials from a third party once for a training class, and I found a bug in the source code, and I sent it to the, the guy who wrote it, you know, and I knew who it was, and I got a response back within five minutes saying, why'd you change all my braces? You know, because he was using clearly the wrong mechanism for lining up his braces. So I, obviously I had to fix that. You know, so, I mean, wars have started over less... Uh, this is a Spock battle, but this one's got such an obvious right answer that I don't know why there's even a discussion. Yeah, I mean, especially somebody pointed out, if you look at the Spock tests for Spock. Yes. The Spock there is no extra indent. Right. right, go look in the smoke tests in Spock, absolutely. Or the Spock example project, which is trying to show people how to write Spock. I use that all the time. Yeah, it's clearly it's the there's ultimate an answer. truth. <laughs> Okay, so, right. I can't, well, thanks. I can't thanks, keep man. the outrage going. That's as far as I can go with it. <laughs> it was very passionate. Oh, dear. Unfortunately, in my case, it, it can be sometimes be true. The, the whole tabs and spaces, I'm totally in the spaces. Well, but we're not going to Actually, the tabs and spaces, there's a reason, at least for me. Uh, because when you're writing a book, then you have to copy and paste. Sometimes you have to copy and paste code unless you're using a mechanism where you can automatically import it. But when you have to paste code into other formats that are not necessarily code-based, tabs, <coughs> pardon me, tabs throw everything off. So, <coughs> sorry about that. So spaces are generally things I favor, if nothing else, so that I could paste it into email or paste it into something else that I'm sending along. Uh, but, you know, honestly, do I really get that worked up about it? I, you know, most developers have changed from one to the other during their lifetime, and I, I tend not to worry too much about it. Yeah, I still remember the days when I switched from C code, where it was braces on a new line. 
Well, no, see, that's wrong. See, the open book <laughs> at the end of the method line. That's just that's just the way. That's just natural. You know, anything it else. Was, it was it was so good that Sun had a, like a style guideline right. that everybody right. followed. <laughs> so there were far <laughs> few arguments over these things. Uh, anyway, so. Um, uh, I do want to, that's a, pretty much the end of the podcast, but uh, I had an interesting Twitter discussion with uh, Mac and uh, Dan Veloper, uh Dan Woods. And Dan was kind of saying, why would anyone want to uh, design a new language not on the JVM, i.e. taking right. advantage of the uh, you know, mature platform, JIT compiler, garbage collection, all these other things. So um, I just wanted to throw it out there and say, hey, if any of you have thought about it or want to think about it and throw us your own suggestions and ideas, why or why wouldn't you uh, design a new language on the JVM as opposed well, to a different that's VM very, or anyone? That's very clear. And the, the, two, the two answers is one of them is compilation to native code has clean benefits when you try to roll out some utility that you, you feel that might run in places where the JVM is not available. And that's, of course, you know, you won't require to install Java for whoever does want to install it. And that's, for example, the reason why we do our client libraries in Go. That's ex exactly it. You don't want to make people install Java if they don't have to. And the other one is might be some, you know, crazy performance considerations when you need stuff like um, Erlang and, and this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I think Dan's point was that you're if you don't develop to the JVM, you're doing a lot of reinventing the wheel. You know, you're you're trying to provide things that the JVM provides naturally. Of course, you will probably have to tune the startup. You know, because people are always concerned about how long it takes the JVM to get going. Uh, and that was just it was nice actually to watch that Twitter discussion because there were not people going to extremes they they could see both sides of it and yeah it would be very interesting to hear what people's actual experience is on that scale yeah so if you have any thoughts on the matter just tweet us uh, our Twitter ID and our Google Plus page are on the show notes uh, and we'll link to those from the YouTube video and the Podbean website so let us know what your feelings are on the matter Groovy yeah, uh, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And just to finish up, many thanks to uh, Guillaume having having taken a gentle dig at him right at the beginning. No, thank you very much, Guillaume, for Groovy Weekly uh, and Jakob uh, Jakob I Mickelson. Yeah. Uh, for his Grails diary. So thank you very both. Uh, okay. So anybody, anything else to say before we sign off? I think you covered it. How, very, how are you doing, Baruch? Did, did you make your move? I mean, did your containers show up? Are you moving? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. The containers showed up, and we are uncontainered. <laughs> so the big move to California is now officially underway in terms of unpacking. Yeah, I think he's, it's almost complete in any in all the terms. So we're good. I feel sometimes I feel like the only person who hasn't up sticks and gone to the U.S. Well, it's funny because on the original Grails podcast, there were no U.S. people at all, right? It was Glenn in Australia and Sven in, in Germany. And by the time he moved to the U.S., he wasn't on the podcast so much anymore. Now we've got, we had U.S. and London and Israel, and now it's two U.S. and London. So, Yeah. Uh, well. So we're waiting for it. Maybe we can go back the other way someday. 
Right. <laughs> Only joking. So uh, thanks very much for listening, folks, and we'll catch you next time. And don't forget, unfollow Dan Veliper. Right. Goodbye. Yes. <laughs>